Are you an investigative professional? Did you know you can find the best private investigator resources using investigatorstoolbox.com? This resource community was built exclusively for licensed investigators and investigative professionals. You can network directly with members, educate yourself through free webinars and blogs, and even create your own customizable research library. Membership starts for as little as 49 cents a day. Download the Investigators Toolbox app or visit our webpage at www.investigators-toolbox.com. Is a good case management system keeping you from taking your business to the next level? Crosstrax is the premier case management system for the investigative community. They're the only SOC 2 certified case management software available. Visit Crosstracks.com, tell them you're a listener, and save even more. Get a plan in place for the new year to grow your business to the next level. I want to talk to everybody today about Scopenow.com. Scopenow has been a big-time sponsor of this program for quite some time, and I just love their service. I've been using them since the beginning. I'm one of their beta customers, and it's been so awesome to see them grow into the business that they are today and just how they just keep reinventing themselves and pushing themselves to get more and more information. What it comes down to is, is Scope Now is a tool that you definitely need to use if you do social media investigations, any internet research, and really spending less time digging around and, and uh, looking for information. I think it's one of the best points of how Scope Now can help you. Their AI platform, their analytics are amazing. You really get an idea of what you need. You're reducing the time, you're reducing the manpower that you, you're spending on doing this research because they're essentially doing it for you and uh, they're doing it correctly, which is most important. One of the new things that they're actually offering is this flagging system where you can flag behaviors and really highlight and um, look out for fraud. If you're doing a lot of fraud research, uh, this is a fantastic tool and you can set up alerts. So you have uh, particular people that you're looking at, you can actually set up alerts to get notifications when the criteria that you set up is actually um, is flagged and goes off. It's really, uh, really amazing. And their relationship and association analytics are uh, top notch, really uh, cutting edge and really, really cool. When they brought that out on version three, it was a game changer. I mean, really being able to see how people interact together and, and uh, you know, having that relationship you know, analysis is really, really something that's cool. You know, one of the other things about being involved with Scope Now is their ability to offer webinars. Their team is cutting edge on putting together and getting out really, really great content. If you're a member of Scope Now, if you know who they are, you've seen them around on LinkedIn, you'll, you'll know that they're constantly doing webinars on these new websites that are coming out and uh, they're really staying on top of it. And don't forget, uh, any reports that you generate, you can actually white label those reports and put your own logos on and, and really make them look professional, which you know could equate to more billing for you as well. So. Check them out today. It's uh, www.scopenow.com. They're a great, great company. They should be one of the tools in your toolbox, along with whatever kind of uh, search engines you do. Uh, you need to make sure that ScopeNow is a part of that suite. ScopeNow.com. Congrats to our host, Matt Spare. He was named Investigator of the Year by PI Magazine for 2021. You can get a copy of this great issue at PI Magazine. Com. Welcome to this week's episode of PI Perspectives, 
Today, we're talking about wrongful death investigations. Celebrated New York attorney David Otto joins the program to give us an update on the state of trials post-COVID and to discuss wrongful death cases. Let's get right to the guys and jump into this topic. Please welcome David Otto and your host, private investigator, Matt Spare. And welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of PI Perspectives. This is your host, Matt Spare. We got attorneys again (laughs) this week, and I'm not apologizing about it because we've got some great topics to talk about. Um, I got my friend David Otto here. David, welcome back to the program. Hey, thanks for having me, Matt. Great to see you. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, It seems like I have been having some attorneys on recently, but uh, we got stuff to talk about. And uh, I wanted to check in with you because you just finished a a trial, a month-long trial, right? So uh, tell me uh, what's been going on with you. Yeah. In this age of COVID, this new world of ours, it was a very interesting experience. Uh, And I I don't know, you know, for you to imagine lawyers trying cases in masks and having jurors in masks and witnesses testifying in masks it was quite the ride. You know, the protocols that we had to follow, you know, throughout the trial really made it two trials in one. Right. It took twice as long to do everything. There was a lot of technology involved, which is something that we were prepared for. And we we knew that was the way we would have to do it with the courtroom being so spread out. Right. Uh, with jurors all over the courtroom, as opposed to being confined to that jurors, you know, the jury box. So we needed, you know, a number of television screens uh, throughout the courtroom to project uh, the evidence, many, many documents in the case, uh, photographs and things like that. Right. So the technology was really important. The mindset to be mindful of the fact that you really had to speak loudly and clearly so the court reporter can take down everything you said was really quite the experience. However, I will tell you that it did not change much about how you went about the trial. I think it took a little bit longer to connect with jurors under those conditions, but it's doable and it, and it works. You know, the jury was able to come to a, a reasonable verdict and a, and a good verdict uh, right. in the case. To my surprise, I think the biggest surprise, the biggest takeaway was that the six jurors and five alternates, they showed up every day. That's great. They, they were on time every day yeah. and they made it. And we had assumed that wasn't going to be the case, yeah. uh, but it worked. So nobody got sick during the one month? No. That's great. That's fantastic. I guess the Omicron variant outbreak probably happened towards the end of the trial. It was quite a bit after. Yeah. yeah. Oh, really? We, okay. we finished in no, mid-November, and I think okay. it, you know, it wasn't until December where things right. started to get a little heavy. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So you had to wear a mask the whole time that you were uh, making your arguments, huh? You had to wear a mask as soon as you walked into the courthouse, couldn't take it off uh, until you left. And, so you know, like an airplane. Had, Pretty much, you're, you're, you're trying to trying to case on an airplane. Fantastic! It's a great way to put it. I'm going to that. That's that's what it was. It's yours, buddy. You can have it. <laughs> um, so yeah, very very interesting. Um, and uh, you know just how that whole process played out. It's so great to see that the the juries actually um, took it uh, took it serious on that. How did the the pool work? Um, 
in getting uh, folks in to actually, you know, they get called for jury duty. It used to be everybody was piled into this big room and there was no air conditioning and it was like miserable. And I'm sure that wasn't the case, you know, having the ventilation issues. What, what did that look like as far as, um, you know, getting juries in for you to actually board here and, and sit down and pick? That's a, that's a great, great question. Um, Cause that was something I was wondering about when we started mm -hmm. uh, the way they handle it is they bring in a very, very small panel for that particular case. So each day there will only be between 17 and maybe 25 jurors mm -hmm. who will be in the courthouse for that particular case. And this way they could manage it. You know, right. they could they could bring in 10, 12, 15 jurors at a time in a big courtroom, spread them out, right. and then leave the remainder in the hallway spread out. Wow. And they're, you know, you, you, right. So you got to remember there's now in the, in the courthouse, you don't have lawyers and litigants walking around anymore. The, 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 the hallways are empty. Right. So there is plenty of room for that. So that's how it worked. It was, it was really doable because of the small numbers of jurors that they would bring. So did you have any, did, was there change to, to the amount of people that you could, um, preclude from from being involved on, on that or, or you still had the same number of challenges and and, and all that yeah everything stayed the same same challenges uh same procedure uh everything everything was really you know back to normal as far as that goes right uh the only difference was you did have to deal with uh a, a few covid worries from potential jurors right you know either they had they may have had a a elderly parent or a relative at home right. they may be caring for for someone uh, who may have uh, comorbidities so you had a few of that but again right. not as many as i anticipated so those are questions that you got to ask right when you're it's, when you're questioning somebody yeah. right can you, you be here ask. every day right you have to ask wow interesting yeah. interesting you know the thought crossed my mind as we're chatting about all this stuff and to me, I'm thinking of it as the investigator, or, you know, what kind of services, how do I get in on this and all that? And, and one of the things that was very popular before um, COVID shut everything down, it was just starting to really gain some teeth, was doing the, the juror research. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like maybe in this situation where it's not as fast paced, and you're taking more time, there's actually a better chance of you to do a profile on somebody you're looking at. Um, and I wonder if there's going to, if that's going to pick back up again and, and folks are really going to start focusing on trying to, trying to get profiles on, on who uh, their potential jurors are going to be. 100% Matt, you, you, you hit it on the head. The time, because you did have more time, it was much, much easier, uh, more comfortable to do those, to do those searches. Yeah. So that, that was, um, that really was something that stuck out to me as well. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's like almost, you, you're not getting a sense and, and correct me if I'm wrong of a judge, even like pushing you along. It's like, it's going to take what it's going to take. I feel like the whole world just kind of kicked it back a few notches on how quickly we used to move with things. Right. And the, and the court staff, it, everybody understands yeah. the key I, I found to an efficient trial is the judge, and we had a fantastic judge in Queens, uh, moved the case along, no wasted time, really did a nice job of accommodating everybody. Yeah. And the second person who's most important is the court officer, because they're the ones moving the moving the jurors back and forth. They're the ones who are keeping control and, and 
making sure masks are on in the courtroom right. and, and that protocols are being followed. So if you have, you know, you're going to have a good judge and, and you have a, a, a solid court officer, it, it's going to, it's going to work. Well, that's the good news. The bad news is it, it's still going to take forever to get all these tri- cases tried. <laughs> like what used to take a long time, isn't going to take a really long time to get them done, but that's reality. You know, I think that pushes towards mediation and folks really taking a consideration when an offer is on the table. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I yeah. agree. Yeah, very interesting. Um, it, it's so fascinating to see that, you know, people with that real push to try and get back to normal, right? Just, uh, you know, a little being a little kinder, you know, trying to get things going. I have been, um, you know, my office space in Manhattan, I share with an attorney. And, um, you know, I've got to listen to some depositions, you know, because he's doing a lot of video depositions. And man, the whole demeanor of the deposition is 1000% different than it used to be sitting in, in a court uh, reporting office, right? Where it was very professional, starched white shirt, you know, like everything was by the book and people were nasty to one another and, and this and that. And, it, and now it's just, you know, there's, there's some joking going on. People are more relaxed. They're getting through things. And one of the most interesting things that I noticed was they're taking breaks for phone calls. Like they're in their office and an important phone call comes in. Maybe it's it's a call they've been waiting from a carrier for a settlement. And they say, excuse me, I, I just need two minutes. Let me just take this. Can we take a, a two-minute break? Nobody's saying no. Now you try and pull that garbage at a court reporting office. <laughs> that was never going to happen, right? Yeah. How dare you look at your phone while we're doing this stuff, right? right? You know, yeah. and, it, and, and to it's that, different. To that point, I, I was in the middle of a uh, deposing a, a doctor on a medical malpractice case. And she, as she's testifying, I'm watching this cat. She's in her living room. And I'm watching <laughs> this cat. cat. And it's slowly going from her left to her right behind her neck. And she was wearing it almost like a, you know, like, like a scarf. And Cruella DeVille, nice. <laughs> yeah. And, and it was, um, it was quite interesting. And I've had, I, I've had witnesses uh, take breaks to go feed the dog to, you know, they had a package coming at the door and right. it, it's, very very different yeah Yeah, it's the world we live in but i kind of like it you know like Mm -hmm. i I don't think things like that may not go back and and in in fact the governor just signed the uh you know the uh the law to allow uh, notaries to be done online Mm -hmm. right so really important yeah that was really important that was an important law yeah i think that one in the um the insurance the insurance carriers having to turn over you know the uh information on policies in a timely fashion uh, fashion those are the two really big ones that I think just came across and uh, that's good for everybody. For sure. Yeah. Well, maybe the notary thing is not so good for the investigator, but uh, hopefully we'll still get work out of it, but you know, and the greater good. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, you've written a book and I want to get into that uh, and talk about, um, you know, what it is and what, what, what you wrote it for the purpose. And um, Mm -hmm. you know, when we're going to take a break here and when we come back, I really want to dive into that and uh, you know, talk about the investigators role and what you're, you'll be talking about too. So uh, everybody sit tight and we'll be right back. In 2019, Investigation Education Consultants added a new affiliate in its never-ending quest to provide quality professional investigative training. IEC is now offering certificate courses and investigative training online. Our website, IECOIT.com, will soon offer a certificate in professional investigation for those interested in entering the investigative field. 
There'll be standalone investigation classes for those seeking continuing education credits, CEUs, or just interested in taking classes for their own personal or professional interests. The classes currently available are Foundations of Investigation, Legal Investigation, Criminal Investigation, Fraud Investigation, Background Investigation, Interviews and Statements, Skip Tracing Locates, Ethics, and Report Writing. Investigator Toolbox members will receive a 20% discount off the listed price. So visit IECOIT.com. Satellite Investigations is the premier investigation resource in New York State. Founder Matthew Spare was named PI Magazine's Investigator of the Year. If you need investigative assistance in New York State, visit their site at SatellitePI.com. Get results, not excuses. Registration is open for the next NALI Virtual Conference. This event takes place on February 11th. The speakers include Marissa Shalin, Nicole Boker-Gray, Marcy Phelps, Patricia Fisher, Brian Chase, and Michelle Stewart. Learn more at NALI.com. NALI.com. And welcome back to PI Perspectives. This is Matt Spare, your host. Today we are joined by David Otto. David, I want to welcome you back to the program. Thanks, having a good time. Yeah, it's great uh, catching up with you and just hearing about this whole uh, trial experience and uh, you know what it's like getting back on the saddle. Um, we're all interested in in whatever it is we do here to to get back to normal. So uh, that's good stuff. But uh, you wrote a book, so tell me a little bit about the book and uh, let's dive into it. I wrote a book for my clients. I wanted to answer some questions in a different kind of way, because for decades, I've been having to explain to my clients in wrongful death actions, uh, where a loved one of theirs had been killed as the result of someone else's negligence, whether it was an automobile case, whether it was a medical through medical malpractice, whether it was through uh, a work-related uh, incident, and I've, I've had to have very unpleasant conversations explaining the law in New York State. And in New York State, the law values life only to the extent that you made money. Right. So in other words, your life doesn't have a value. You only have a pecuniary or economic value to your life. So that being said... If you're um, a wage earner, a very high wage earner, and you were unfortunately killed as the result of someone's negligence, uh, your surviving spouse and, and children uh, would be entitled uh, to those economic damages. Right. Um, however, in the cases of, you know, and even in that case, that's only economic damages. The, the, the wife, the, the children, uh, the family are not entitled to their loss, their grief, the loss of just having a husband or a mm -hmm. wife, uh, the loss of having a, a father, uh, and uh, the loss of having a, a child and right. watching that child grow. There is no, there is no recovery for that, and it, it is an antiquated law that that dates back to the to the mid eighteen hundreds pre Civil War right. uh, that rose. It, it arose out of. Uh, child exploitation exploitation laws uh, that are no longer relevant and and really don't apply to 
to our society and or, or to even our sense of intrinsic fairness, right, right? right? Because you know, to to you know, New York is one of literally a handful of states that don't recognize that a life has a value. So I wrote this book because I've had occasion to sit down with a family um, who lost a six-year-old who was was run down by a by a careless driver and, and killed. And to explain that, other than whatever pain and suffering that child may have may have suffered immediately prior to them passing, that their life doesn't have value under New York law. And it it's mind-boggling, yeah. it's frustrating, it's 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 horrible. Yeah. And I wanted to try to explain that and, and go through that in for the clients in writing and, and in a book. And I um, I wanted to use examples of those things, and I wanted to sort of make them understand that it, it is unfair and unjust, and that it is something that if they do care about, they should uh, contact a legislator. Here so, in New York. so what do you what do you think that hasn't been changed? You think it's all politics and just. Uh you know, insurance companies lobbying, um, yeah. for yeah, it. Sure. Think? Sure. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, they, you know, there's a, there's this fallacy that this is going to create more cases somehow and, and more litigation. And not only is that not supported by any evidence or any, any, any fact facts of any kind, uh, it, it, it's just dead wrong. Yeah. And, and what it does is look, we, New, our civil justice system is based upon holding people accountable for the harm they cause. Right. Okay, Th- that's that's a basic tenet yeah. of uh, of our civil it's justice the, it's system. The backbone of it, really. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, think about it. If if you're not accountable for, you know, like we see it with elderly clients, where you know I've seen cases where hospitals uh, have, I, I'm going to say, neglected. Uh, elderly patients who they're just not a priority. And, and, you know, this encourages that kind of behavior if there's no value to those lives. Right. Yeah. It's really, uh, it's really scary. And and you do see that negligence on all different types of cases. Um, and one of the things that we talked about earlier offline uh, before we started recording is the investigator's role in, in trying to connect the dots, uh, especially on conscious pain and suffering and how important that is because of these, you know, archaic laws that are here, basically the rules that we have to play by, um, you know, how to get over that, that hump. And um, even uh, coming down and doing a, you know, what we call intake. So that, that initial sign up and having conversations with people about supplemental underinsured motorist coverage, uh, which is something they don't really think about, right. Not having enough coverage. I remember there was an instance where I had met with somebody, we were reviewing their insurance policy and, and they had the, the minimum, which in New York state, it, 25,000, 50,000, meaning 25,000 per person up to 50,000 per accident. Um, and I distinctly remember having a conversation with the guy like, Hey, this is low coverage. You should really talk to your carrier and, and improve that. You know, it's not that m- much more expensive. You may, maybe it'll cost you another hundred dollars a year, you know, like look into it. And the guy didn't do it. And then sure enough, two or three late years later, I met him for a horrific accident where he lost limbs and he still had that 25 policy and the person that hit him was a student driver <laughs> and uh, it wasn't a uh, driving school. She was driving her parents' car and they had a, a, a terrible policy as well. And it, 
it is what it is. So let's talk a little bit about that, the, the relation of, of an investigator uh, to wrongful death cases. What, what's been your experience? Yeah, in, in those cases where you're trying to prove that there was conscious pain and suffering prior to the death, and you need to quantify that. You know, the lawyer's job is to quantify that so that you can maximize the recovery, you know, for your client, for the pain and suffering. So how do you do that? You know, I had a, I had a situation where I'll just use an example where a, a client had gotten into an accident on a highway, had gotten out of the car, uh, inspecting, you know, inspecting the damage while, while she was on the, on the shoulder and another car came and, and slammed into her. And, and the, they were report, the initial reports were that she, she was dead on arrival and that had died instantaneously from the, from the crash. Uh, we needed to send out an investigator to f- find the first responders, the, the people who were first on the scene, yeah. whether it was, and in that particular case, it wasn't a first responder. It was actually our investigator was able to find the a good Samaritan who yeah. had pulled over and had witnessed after the right after it had witnessed my client moving, my client gasping for air. Right, the chest my, going my, up and down. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, that was done. It wasn't the type of thing where, you know, you send an investigator, he just, you know, speaks to someone. Oh, yeah. John Doe, you know, was there at the scene. This takes a lot of digging and yeah. it takes, you know, sort of looking at the police reports, looking at the at the officer's memo books, because sometimes there'll be something in the memo book. Yeah. Uh, or, or something in 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 a um, in the memo or the uh, notes of the EMT or the paramedics or whoever got there yep. first, uh, and and we need to you need to do that. Yeah. Uh, so, and I'm sure you've had experience. Yeah, with that yeah. Well. I mean, let's talk about some of the challenges there in that because there are so many, right? So, challenge number one: a lot of times we're not getting that call until a year in, you know. And you realize that if, well, all right, let's say you've tracked down an EMT. I want to talk to you about an accident a year ago when somebody died. The guy's like, yeah, pal, I deal with that eight times a day. <laughs> you know, like, I'm not going to remember the year, this, uh, your specific accident one year later. I'm sorry. I'd love to help you, but I can't. That's assuming they'll talk to you. So most of the times it's challenge number two is getting them to actually talk to you because there is a, a policy with all these uh, EMTs, especially FDNY, you don't talk to anybody. If there's, unless there's a subpoena, right? So then it's a matter of, you're going to get that subpoena. Please keep notes. You know, this is important because, you know, once you get that subpoena now, you know, we can have a conversation and, and talk about this stuff. So that, that is a, a another challenge. Um, you know, reverse engineering 911 reports is a great way to find eyewitnesses, right? You get, especially it's a, a high uh, impact accident. You know, you'll get a lot of people that are calling, uh, I remember I had a, there was a, a tree on uh, a tree case on the Jackie Robinson Parkway uh, where they had fallen on a car and a guy ended up getting paralyzed. And uh, man, I had about 20 people that called and uh, I had to reverse engineer and go back and interview every single one of them. And um, I got some really good information uh, from those people. And if somebody called 911, there's a pretty good chance they're going to talk to you about what happened. If they're if they're uh, kind enough to actually do the right thing and pick up a call, uh, a phone and call, like the odds are that they, they, they want to tell a story. They want to give you their version of what happened, right? 
and a trained investigator, someone who's skilled, knows the right questions to ask to really jar the memory and really get the specific items that you need. You know, now we're talking about conscious pain and suffering, um, you know, to be able to to know how to ask those those right questions. So I had a case also um, in Manhattan down by Chinatown where a uh, an Asian couple, elderly couple, was crossing in a crosswalk. I think it was either by the Manhattan Bridge. I think it was Manhattan Bridge, right? So it was one of these um, uh, dollar bus companies, right? It was uh, making a left-hand turn to go into Brooklyn, and uh, they, they, they mowed people down. So there was a guy that was behind them who happened to be a celebrity chef, of all things, right? So I had to go to this guy's restaurant and and basically uh, chat with him about signing a, a statement to what he saw and why it was so important because these people were both killed pretty much instantly. But what was most important was the look on their faces before that bus knocked them down. So the, mm-hmm. the eyes and the hands up and the, the oh my God, what's going to happen here is what made the case because although they were killed relatively instantly, they knew they were dying. They knew this this was it. It's and that, that fear of in, fear of impending death. Right. And that was enough to get this case over the hump of, of having the case, right? So this guy was a star witness. Now, the other biggest challenge I had, he's a celebrity chef. What time does he have to, mean to give a statement? This guy actually right. happened to be very cool. And uh, his restaurant was really good. And I ate there many times after. So <laughs> uh, it, it was great. And it, I had another one out on Long Island too. And, and I've got hundreds of these, but another one that really comes to mind was, was probably one of the toughest statements I've ever taken in my life where there was an elderly lady who was making a left-hand turn into a nursery off of Jericho Turnpike to go buy some plants. And there was a, a gentleman who was riding a motorcycle. He wasn't speeding. He was doing about 35 miles an hour. It was a nice Sunday. He was out going out for a drive. She made a left-hand turn in front of him and he hit the car, flew over the hood um, into a telephone pole. Mm. And uh, I had a direct eyewitness who came up to the guy uh, as he's on the ground and was having a conversation with him for about five, four or five minutes trying to keep him conscious. And the guy's telling me like, Oh, I took his wallet out. I'm showing him pictures of his kids trying to keep him awake. And I'm trying to like not ball my eyes out. I mean, he's just wow. like amazing. And this guy's like, I, I saw the life go out of his eyes. He goes, it's something I'll never forget, you know? And it's just like, how do you, you know, I'm like, this, <laughs> this is probably the best witness ever for a case, you know, like this is a mm. really, really like gut wrenching stuff, you know? Um, and I got this incredible statement that was recorded. So you got the inflection of, of what this guy was saying. And then I took a written one after it. And, um, yeah, I don't know whatever happened with that case, but I'm sure they they did the right thing, the insurance company and and settled. Uh, and it was a horrible thing. And this guy, you know, he had family and he's, you know, out for a motorcycle ride today and gone tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's crazy. Um, you know, it, it, it's so important. Um, I mean, you know, just here today, gone tomorrow in these cases, you just never, never know. And, and it's so unfortunate. And, you know, there are times I'm sitting down with people doing that initial intake and I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, they don't have it. They're they're Mm -hmm. not going to be able to get what they need. And, and you talk about having that conversation with them. That's not on me. That's on you. (laughs) Like I don't have those conversations. I'm just like, I'm going to turn everything over to the attorney, but man, I, I know, and you just see the heartbreak and, and, and all that. And you just know, it's going to be what it's going to be. So I, I, I commend you for writing that book. That's um, it's helpful. It helps with the grieving process too. Right. 
I, I think. Yeah, it, it does. I, I think so. Um, I think it also, you want to, when, when someone's going through this trauma, you know, of losing a loved one, you, you want to make their life easier. Like you, you want to have the least amount of questions. You want them to know what's going to happen. And one of the things that surprises people too, uh, when you tell them that two things, one, because your loved one has passed, they have no standing to bring a lawsuit. There's no one to bring a lawsuit until we have you appointed through the courts. So they're saying, what do you mean? I have to go through another. And yes, you have to go through the surrogate court. You have to be appointed. And then you could proceed with the case. The second thing, which comes as a surprise, and I I try to explain all this early on in the book to, to the client, is that any settlement of the case or any major action that takes place in the case has to be approved by the surrogate court. Yep. So there's oversight by the surrogate court whenever, you know, there's a case that involves someone who has passed away to, to look out for those interests. So if I can eliminate those things and I could put them at ease and be comfortable with the process, I, I think it goes a long way. And I, I think changer. it goes a long way to helping them deal with, yeah. with it. Yeah. It's, a, it's an absolute game changer. You know, I always, um, when I deal with those, types of cases, you know, take my time and really just try and, you know, have a conversation with people about what, what the legal process is, what, what the expectations are going forward, you know, cause you know, a lot of times they, the shock is still there, right? You're meeting with somebody cause the, the attorneys want the case yesterday, right? So these folks are still grieving. They're still, they're still kind of dealing with things. The shock is, is still there, you know? So I think having the book is great because, you know, that will subside. And they're like, oh man, I remember this this guy Dave talking to me about something, but I honestly like all I could think about was was my husband or my wife, you know, and no longer being here. And, and what what was that? And now having this this tangible thing to go back and like, oh, okay, right, this is this is where we are and what we're doing. It's great. That's a really. really well, I can great tell idea. you to that point again. You, you you make a good point. And in December, right before the the new year, I had I got a call from a client, um, son, a grown grown adult son and and the wife of the deceased uh, on a medical malpractice case. And they hadn't even buried the, the, the father and the husband yet. Uh, and they were so upset with what had happened. They, they wanted some answers. And I said, look, you, you need to, you need time to grieve. You need time to just take care of, of the arrangements, do what you have to do. After the new year, go onto my website and download a, a free downloadable part, you know, uh, copy of the book. Right. And I want you to look at it. And then when you're ready, give me a call. And I, and I got the call early in the week yeah. thanking me for that book, you know, yeah. and, and it's easy to read. It's concise. It's short. It's, it, you know, it, it's really what I explained to clients at, in, in my office. I put in, into into print. Yeah. You know, basically what it is. Yeah. And, you know, it's it just, you know, the bullet points of what, you know, what's going to happen, how, how this is going to proceed. I mean, I think is, is, is really important. You know, the, these wrongful death cases are, they're so difficult because there is that expectation for justice too. Right. So that's the other thing that you got to throw in there. Why isn't the person who caused my spouse or my child to die? Why are they not in jail? 
Why are there not criminal charges, right? So they think of it a, as a, a criminal way, not not civilly, you know, uh, uh, of getting, you know, monetary damages. They're not thinking about that. They want their justice. Oh, I don't care about the money. I want this this person to rot in jail. And it's like, well, if the DA is not going to press charges on things, there's really not much you can do there, you know? And then you take it a step further as the case progresses. They They say, how come they're not? Why are they not settling the case? Right. They know what they did. Right. You know, they know they did this to my, you know, husband, spouse, child, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, why are they, why are they not admitting it? You know, and it's. Yeah. You know, and then, and it's like, yeah, they admit it, but they're going to give you, you know, 50 grand. <laughs> the yeah. value of your case is a million dollars. Right. So, right. you know, right. it, you, right. you got to get around that hump. I mean, there are many, many challenges here and many things to consider. And, um, you know, uh, even people's like where they are in their, their, their life, you know, as far as, you know, settlement offers, you know, can they hold out and get more? Or are they really, really desperate at this time? Um, are, did they borrow money on the case? Yeah. That's the other thing too, right? Now the clock is ticking <laughs> with interest. So, um, you know, definitely things to, to consider. Um, especially with, with the COVID I, right. the last couple of years have, ta- have really, uh, been so, devastating to to a lot of people um of, of my clients yeah. who have been you know their lives have been turned upside down through a very catastrophic injury you know from a yeah. catastrophic injury and all of a sudden covid hits and either you know they lose a job spouse loses a job they you know they're not able to work as a result of their injuries and now the case is is going to take two extra years and what do they do there now they have to borrow money sometimes or they try to hold on or they they become very desperate and it's it it is really really hard to watch that's a challenge um so the other thing i want to talk about um with regards to the investigator and, and these types of cases um you know really understanding what your role as an investigator and not being afraid to have a communication with the attorney that hires you over the things that you think that should be done on the case. Because a lot of times I don't think the attorneys are really thinking about like, like everything that could be done. Right. And as an investigator, knowing the different options that you have, um, the services that you can go out and, and offer, um, I think is really important. It's a good way to build your business, right. Upsell and, 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 you know, on the business side, make, make some money, but it's also being thorough and making sure that that um, you know, the attorney's doing their role and you're handling your role as the investigator is something to really understand. And and the other thing also is to take your time you know, on these cases. Don't ever ever rush through. You know, uh, pay the respect to the deceased and and really just take the extra time to to go through and make sure that you're doing everything you possibly can do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I um, th- there are many things where I'll. I'll be thinking through what has to be done on a case uh, and, and I want to get it done immediately. Uh, but the investigator, uh, even on cases you and I have worked on where um, I didn't even know you had certain resources. I didn't exactly. even know you had the ability yeah. to do certain things. Yeah. Um, and, and unless I know that, you know, so that communication is really, really, uh, really important. Yeah. It's something we've really been preaching uh, the past year or so, as far as like methodology and really having almost like a check sheet, uh, as you approach investigative work and understanding, you know, everything that you can do on things and, and having those conversations with your attorney client, Hey, this, I can do this. I can do that. I can do this. And I can do that because it does spur those things. Not only does it keep you organized, but it also lets 
your client know that we can do these things later on. Um, you know, one of the other things too is excess policy searches, right? Uh, umbrella searches, things like that. A lot of attorneys don't know that investigators can do that. Like we have resources legally that we can go and, and get uh, that information. Nobody's breaking any laws or anything like that. You know, they're just, you know, an, an insurance company puts an affidavit in front of you saying, you know, oh, the client says that they don't have any other insurance policies. But okay, did the insurance company explain to their, their client why they're signing that document? Or did they just mail it to them and say, sign this, get it notarized and get it back to us, right? Because sure. that happens a lot too. Um, yeah. So to be able to check on that stuff is is important. And then also you have your post-judgment um, where you've got a judgment on on something and you're, you're trying to collect on it, right? Uh, we got to go find some assets. Um, you know, being able to do that. Um, and and uh, the pre-judgment as, uh, asset searches are important too, right? convincing your client to take that settlement offer, you know, Hey, really there's nothing else out there, you know, that we can take a look at. And we really strongly suggest that you do, you take that. So these are tools that, you know, the average attorney may not know that uh, are available through, uh, through using an investigator. So yeah, to keep in mind. just as you, again, again, to your, to your good point here, the, the investigator, just like our expert in a medical malpractice case should be involved from the very beginning. So yeah. you have a, as the investigator, you have a role from the intake, all the way through post judgment. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's actual soup to nuts, right? Yeah, yeah, really. In in some cases, and I think it's underutilized. And I'm I'll be the first to admit I under underutilized. <laughs> no judgment, buddy. <laughs> um, the, the 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 investigator pre pre deposition. Yeah. Before I depose a witness. Yeah. Why, why am I not as a routine, which I should be doing? I mean, I do it in certain cases, but a yeah. lot of times we're dealing with people on the medical malpractice end, who's everything's pretty public, you know, the doctor, you know, let's say I'm deposing a doctor in a medical malpractice case, uh, any disciplinary actions, anything like that is going to be contained in something I can find, yeah. but on the lay witnesses, on the lay witnesses, it, it's something that, um, every lawyer should, should consider. So, so you know, to, to your point there, yes, there's a lot of that information on your, professional witness on, um, you know, where they went to school, what their background is and all that. But there's so much more though, really, like if you dig into it and I don't do it, but I know people that do that do really extensive backgrounds on these expert witnesses. And they give you like how many times they testified for against, you know, different arguments. I mean, I've seen people pull up articles that were uh, counter to the argument that this guy was making, you know, like uh, at this particular thing, it's like, Oh, well, you're saying that this, it, it'll always, always be this way, but you published an article, you know, or your doctorate that you published is something completely different. It's like, you have those things that do happen. And, you know, I think what attorneys need to understand is yes, you can go and do that, or you can have your assistant go and do that. But, but you're also trying cases. Your assistant is getting your bill of particulars together or, or drafting this and that. Are they really focusing and honing in on doing this? And I'm not saying it's right for every case, but if you've got those, those big verdict cases, you know, it, there's almost a, a fiduciary responsibility, in my opinion, to take those routes and go and, and do everything you possibly can to make sure everything's done. But I do also understand on the smaller cases, it's a juggling game too. Because that case may only be a twenty-five thousand dollars case if that's got the minimum policy, right? Or, or the, you know, the numbers can't be there. I, you know, I received a phone call from a guy yesterday, and he's like, "Oh, we spoke a few months ago uh, for you to do witness statements, and I, I know I held off, and I really shouldn't have held off, but I wanted to wait till I got a declaration from the insurance company to see what the policy is." 
And uh, now can you do this stuff? And I was like, well, the good news is, yes, I can do it. The bad news for you is, is my rates went up in January. So here's my new rate list. (laughs) So it is what it is, right? Um, Well, David, this has been really great, man. It's been so great to uh, catch up with you. Um, You do a podcast yourself. That's fantastic. Uh, The trial brief. I know you said you're you're getting back on the horse with that too. And I'm looking forward to checking out some new episodes there. But uh, how do folks get a hold of you if they uh, have any more questions? Uh, You could always go to to my website, uh, to the law firm website, which is Otto and Babbitt. Well, the website address is ottobabbitt.com. O-D-D-O, by the way. (laughs) O-D-D-O. My phone number, uh, 212-642-0950. And... um, you could go to. You could actually download a, a copy of the of the medical malpractice and wrongful death book uh, on the website now, if you yeah. if you're so inclined. Yeah. So, but thank you, yeah. Matt. It, it is always a, a, a pleasure, and I love uh, love being on with you. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, folks, this is a guy that that loves the law, that lives the law. He's he served. He gave up a whole year of his life to be the president of the Trial Lawyers Association. Um, I, there aren't many people you meet that have a passion for. Um, being an advocate for people. But David, you're definitely one of those people that do it, and I admire it. And um, I, I love that uh, even even after you've got your term done, you're still you know banging uh, things out and making sure that that uh, folks are not being taken advantage of. So I, I commend you for that, man. I appreciate it. Thank yeah, you. Definitely. All right. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And uh, I promise next week we're not going to have any lawyers. Uh, we'll go back to regular <laughs> uh, regular shows. I, I can't make that promise. But um, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And uh, we'll catch everyone on the next show. Take care. Thanks to David for coming on to give us an update on the state of trials in New York courts. It is encouraging that we keep pressing to return to normal. We also want to thank Crosstrack, Scope Now, Investigation Education Consultants, Satellite Investigations, and Nally for sponsoring the show. So please support our great supporters. Have you thought about joining Investigators Toolbox? Now's the time to get on board and join the fastest growing digital community for investigative professionals. Use code PIP201836 to save 10% on membership. If you have a question or a comment about the show, email Matt at MatthewS at SatellitePI.com. You can also find him on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. We'd like your feedback to bring you the best shows possible. And we'll be back next week with a new show. So make sure you tune in and stay safe out there.